Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I just try my best to uh, not only experience the best waves around the world, but also find you know interesting ways to use science to help manage or protect them and be a better steward of those spaces. I just want to clean up after I party, pretty much. That's why I, I surf and, and do coral science. <laughs> That's Cliff Capono, a native Hawaiian from Hilo, Hawaii. Cliff doesn't just surf and do science. He's a professional surfer with a PhD in chemistry. Here in Hawaii, from a young age, we're so intimately connected to our natural environment. And in my family, we consider ourselves very much ocean people. Uh, and I would say that surfing, for me in my life, was given to me as a gift. Um, we treat surfing in that sense, where being a part of the ocean and, and even the way we, we fish and the way we dive and the way we surf, it's, it's lineal. Um, I very much have adopted uh, surfing as my way to connect with my family lineage and also connect with uh, the natural world here. And that connection that Cliff feels to the water, it's also changed the way he thinks about his place in the world. By being in the ocean, you're able to connect to so many different humans and other species on the planet. Uh, I remember being in Southern California one time when the red tide arrived and the bioluminescence was emitting in the nighttime. And I remember surfing and catching the wave. I remember taking off and seeing just the water light up as I was paddling for the wave. And it seemed like it was like fireworks inside of the ocean. Just insane explosions as I was paddling. And when I stood up, it, it was like completely black. And the more I looked into the darkness, I started to see other things coming beside me. These fish were with me on the wave. And I don't know, I'm not an animal behavior scientist or anything, but I, I could only like speculate that these fish were surfing with me because they wanted to. <laughs> like, I don't know. But when that happened, it just, it feels like a lot of mental burden is, is taken. It puts you back into that vulnerable state where you're so small in this bigger, world and your problems, they're, they're only yours if you want to hold on to them. This intense, almost spiritual connection to the ocean that Cliff feels and the way that it seems to ease his mind is not unique to him. You don't have to be a surfer, a native Hawaiian, or a marine scientist to feel that soothing impact on your mental state. You've probably experienced your own feelings of calm and happiness when you're at the beach or by a lake. I know I have. The waters of Lake Michigan helped keep me calm during some stressful times in my life when I was studying for exams in medical school. And over the past several summers, I've taken these beach trips with my family. I can feel my heart rate start to drop, my blood pressure start to ease as soon as I get near the water in the low country. 
being there always seems to make me feel better. It also, interestingly, makes me feel more connected to my loved ones. I'm not entirely sure why, but just like Cliff said, my problems that seem so significant seem to melt away as I get closer and closer to the water. And there are scientifically proven psychological and physical benefits to being near water, or what scientists are now calling blue spaces. So now that summer is approaching, how can we take advantage of these benefits and optimize our health? And for those who don't have easy access to the water, some surprising science reveals how they too can reap the benefits of blue spaces. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. Put on your sunglasses, lather on the sunscreen. It's time to start chasing life. As a psychologist, I was particularly struck by the fact that there was an emerging literature on the relationship between green spaces, i.e., you know, parks and playgrounds, woodland, and psychological health. That's Matthew White, an environmental psychologist at the University of Vienna in Austria. And it struck me, I grew up on a small island in the south of England on the beach, and I was like, well, what's happening with blue spaces then? Did it result in similar kinds of psychological benefits? People have heard the term green spaces, but we are talking about blue spaces here. So how do you define blue spaces? In general, we would define a blue space as an area covered by natural water, so not swimming pools that were built by people. We're talking lakes, we're talking rivers, even small garden ponds. But primarily, of course, the largest blue space on the planet is the the marine environment. So when we talk about blue spaces, what we're really talking about is the interface between land and water, which is where the vast majority of people will will come into contact with it. We also talk about views. So if you live in a high-rise, you might live two kilometers from the sea, but you still see the sea. So there could be this indirect contact versus actual immersion. So there's gradations, but that's the kind of blue space and the kind of interactions we look at. So what do you think the reason is that that blue spaces are are, are good for us? Maybe this is an obvious question, but what do you think is going on there? The basic idea is that, look, uh, we spent most of our majority of time in our evolutionary past as a species along the water sides. So there's, there's that kind of idea that there's some kind of hardwiring appreciation because they're adaptive spaces for us in the long term. It does make sense that we would feel some sort of deep-rooted connection to blue spaces since they were such a vital part of our evolutionary past. But what are blue spaces really doing for us in present day? In physical health terms, most of the benefits we attribute are due to the propensity to exercise more and for longer. So if you look, for example, the, the most frequent form of exercise in the population is walking. It's free it's accessible to most people. And what you tend to find is that when people are spending time near water, they walk for longer um, and they walk for further. Of course, the water affords us activities that we can't perform in any other environment. For example, we can go swimming and canoeing and surfing and so on, all of which have been associated with positive emotional experiences. So that's one thing. It affords us certain activities. A second thing is that the visual array 
is quite unique and constantly changing compared to say a Greenland site. The light, the reflection, the movement of the waves, the changing of the tides. So we think that by constantly capturing attention, the water environment can help stop people ruminate and, and various other processes. Um, they tend to think less about worries and concerns for themselves in these situations and focus more on the environmental state. So we've worked, for example, with people recovering from drug and alcohol addiction, both on land and at sea. And what you see, for example, is a shift on focus from one's internal concerns to being in the present. So, you know, this idea of mindfulness is really supported through often the marine environment. And also you get this interesting audio stimulus. So there's this cultural association associated with the soundscapes of water, which they may be good in and of themselves, the other thing we find with water in particular more than other locations is that people come together with friends and family. It's the places where we congregate to spend quality time. And of course, that quality time with others is good for both our mental health and our physical health. So when you think about all these things together, you can see why blue spaces might be particularly beneficial for someone's mental health. It's, it's interesting. There's been a lot of that's been written about things like um, forest bathing, for example. And I, I had a chance to experience some of this. And what I think I was really struck by, Professor, was you kind of intuitively knew that there was some benefit. I, I feel good being in a green space like this. But they were trying to add some really objective data. How do you approach uh, your, your, your research on blue spaces? Are, are you looking at it? almost in a systematic way like they have done with green spaces? Or how did you first think about this? In terms of the methodologies we use to explore every single method that we can think of, from the UK census data where we look at where people live, the entire population and their health and well-being. And in one study at the moment in Wales, we've actually got the, uh, the medical records. Obviously, this is only looked at under very secure conditions for the entire adult Welsh population for the last 10 years. And we're looking what happens to their mental and physical health as they move both closer to water, closer to green spaces, and to more urban settings to look at the longitudinal changes in people's well-being over time. We also obviously look at single visits. You know, what's the minimal effect that you get from a single trip to the beach versus what's the cumulative effect you get from moving, say, closer to the seaside? Let's say someone were to move from an urban area to a blue space. Uh, an area where they have direct exposure. Uh, after a certain amount of time, is the expectation then that they would adapt and that the benefits would not be as as significant? That was definitely what I was expecting um, because, as you know, humans adapt to many, many things. Um, take income, for example. You know, you get a raise in income, you're happy with it for a while, but then you adapt to that quite quickly. We didn't find any any evidence of adaptation at all. In fact, the mental health benefits seem to last, um, seem to be more durable. Um, partly we think this can be because uh, we, we haven't measured beyond three years, so it's possible that they could go beyond that. Um, we also looked at whether this was a healthy retiree effect when people move to the coast, because we know that retirees have got more time on their hands and so on. So we did the analysis also for people during work. We found exactly the same benefits moving to the coast, improved mental health, improved well-being for the working population. Uh, another significant thing to point out is that um, what we found is that these benefits are largest for the poorest in the community, both in terms of regional deprivation, but also personal household income. 
So the rich don't seem to benefit hugely from, say, living near the coast, largely because their health and well-being is already quite good and it's quite hard to make any marginal differences. Whereas poorer people on average tend to have poorer health, poorer mental health, their benefits uh, of living near the coast seem to be higher. So in some senses, what we're seeing here is how the environment can reduce socioeconomic related health inequalities, which we think is really potentially important for public health. How did you sort of look at the the difference in socioeconomic class when looking at the impact of blue spaces? I'm really glad you asked that question because this is a very big difference. I, I can speak to the UK data. We've got data from nearly half a million people in the UK where we look at the types of visits they do and we look at the socio-demographic um, issues. Now, green spaces, classic green spaces like woodlands and forests, tend to be the, the visited by the wealthiest sections in society. Beaches, on the other hand, are visited by everybody. They're a great leveller. So there are real efforts to make sure that um, all sectors of society can access the coast and do enjoy it. It's a really interesting point and something I hadn't really considered before, that access to public beaches and other blue spaces, you can make the case that they would actually improve the well-being of entire communities. So from a public policy standpoint, bodies of water are an incredibly important resource for all sorts of different reasons. When we come back, more of my conversation with environmental psychologist Matthew White, plus how those of us who don't have direct access to blue spaces can still benefit from them. And now back to Chasing Life and my conversation with environmental psychologist Matthew White. You know, Professor, I, I uh, like you, love blue spaces. I actually love being in the water. And even now, as I'm talking to you, I reflect on some of my best memories of my, of my life. I can even remember a very specific time I, I was learning how to kite surf. And I'd finally gotten to the point where I could do it solo. It was a perfect day. And I just, the ocean felt very powerful. And yet there was this peace and tranquility and this silence about it too. It just struck me of how significant an episode in my life that was out of all these various experiences I've had. I mean, can people benefit from what you're describing, even if they're not living near a blue space or even indirectly? Yeah, great question. So we've done some studies in um, dental surgeries. So in one uh, randomized control trial we did in a, in a real dental surgery, we had three conditions where there was standard um, medical care. They had virtual reality access to a pleasant city to walk around as a distractor. And they could walk around a local beach. We created this in computer-generated um, technology, and we found significantly less pain during the operations when they were walking on the beach compared to the other two conditions. And importantly for us as well, when we followed them up a week later, their memories of pain were significantly lower. That's important because there's something called the cycle of dental anxiety. If you remember that the treatment is painful, you're less likely to go back. If you remember it's not painful, you're more likely to go back and get better oral health treatment in the long run. And talking to the dentist, the other thing they said was it was beneficial to them because the patients were less stressed. They could um, work far more easily and more effective. Um, we've worked with people with um, dementia and their carers, for example, to bring virtual reality blue spaces indoors to see if that can work. 
dementia has been very interesting because quite often we can help support them visit places that were important to them when they were younger that they'll no longer be able to visit anymore. So it's almost like a sort of virtual reality photo album. And it's really sparked some interesting conversations with them and their families to be able to take them back to places that they'd visited as children or younger people. As Professor White's research has shown, water can be healing, both mentally and physically. And with this in mind, and summer just around the corner, I asked him to share some key takeaways from his research that we can all put into practice. Number one, Professor White says, just go out there and see the water for yourself. Feel the calm, feel the relaxation that water has to offer. Number two, socialize. There is a blue space near you. Go with friends, because quite often the benefits come from social contact. Number three, and I'll borrow this saying from surfer scientist Cliff Capono, clean up after you party. Do what you can to support the quality of that blue space. It might be engaging in a litter picking program. It may be lobbying your local politicians to make sure this space is clean. Some final tips from me. Take care of yourself when you're out there in those blue spaces. Do put on the sunscreen. Wear your sunglasses as well to protect your eyes. Enjoy the water, but do it as safely as possible. And lastly, for those who don't live near blue spaces or for whatever reason can't access them, Research has shown that just listening to sounds of waves or watching movies about marine environments can also be beneficial. If you like this episode, check out our Beach Day Blue Space playlist that our Chasing Life team put together. It's full of all of our favorite Beach Day tunes, including the Beach Boys, Lizzo, and one of my favorites, Beyond the Sea by Bobby Darren. You can find that in our show notes. We'd love to hear what you thought of our playlist and how you're planning to make the most of your summer. Record your thoughts as a voice memo, email them to asksanjay at cnn.com, or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. We might even include them on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is our executive producer. Our podcast is produced by Emily Liu, Andrea Kane, Xavier Lopez, Isoke Samuel, Grace Walker, and Allison Park. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, Carolyn Song, and Nadia Kunang of CNN Health, as well as Rafina Ahmad, Lindsay Abrams, and Courtney Koop from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.